my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, and I welcome you to another edition of the St. Jude Parish Chatter. I'm here with Tyler. Hello, Tyler. Hi, Father. It's great to hear to be here again. I, and we're not alone. We're we have alone. another special guest with us. We have Gene Corley with us. Could you say hi, Gene? Hi, Father. Hi, Tyler. Nice Hello, to be here Gene. with you both. Before we went on the air, you were saying what an honor it was to be to be with me. So can you say that in the microphone? It, uh, yes, for the record, it's an honor to be with Father, and I'm not getting extra pay for this, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so we are honored to have Gene with us, and um, we want to talk about conversion today in a little bit, but there's another gift that Gene brings to the whole parish and that is the knowledge of winemaking. Tell us about your experience with winemaking, Gene. Well, Father, I was raised uh, in Southern Colorado by um, uh, an Italian grandfather and grandmother um, who took us in, uh, my mother and I and my sister, and every fall he would make wine. He was a very poor man, but a, a coal miner, and um, he would order some grapes from Cucamonga, California, Zinvendel, still can see them in the wooden crates. They'd come in by train in Trinidad, and then he'd go down and pick them up into our backyard, a small house. He had a little press, and he would make wine and uh, do two barrels down in his basement. And in those days, the Italians, uh, that's what they drank. So all through the fall and winter and spring, you know, it didn't age very much, uh, but mm -hmm. it was good while if you drank it quickly. It wouldn't age you very long. So teach me if I, my understanding is correct. So Zinfandel is a red wine, correct? That's correct. And white Zinfandel is a filtered red wine. Red wine. wine. That so is it, correct. Yes, you yeah, get it off right. the skins and seeds. And so um, my my friend, my, my nieces um, tell me that I'm an old wine snob, which isn't true at all. I'm barely over 50. I'm not an old wine snob. I'm barely over 50. <laughs> that is awesome, though. Yep. But you've had more recent experience with wineries, too. I did. Um, fast forward. So I was a little kid. That's kind of where I saw my grandfather, and I would just help him. Fast forward many years later, my wife and I, uh, for one of our wedding anniversaries, decided to go to Santa Barbara, California. And of all the wineries that were available, we decided to pick Fess Parker's because growing up, he was the Daniel Boone on television. So uh, we went there, and uh, we were waiting for a tour, and lo and behold, Fess Parker comes out of the back office. He's a real big man. Comes over right up to my wife and I and says, I don't know why, except divine intervention, would you guys like a private tour? Oh, wow. So, of course, we said no. No. I mean, we said absolutely. So he was so gracious. He spent about 30 minutes with us walking through the winery, and, and then he was gone. On our way back to Colorado, I told my wife, Lorinda, you know, I'm not done yet. We had uh, owned and operated an automated teller machine business, which I had sold with my, my partner. And that was at a time when ATMs were fairly novel and it wasn't a big deal. But I said, I'd like to do something else. And she said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I'd like to see if we could plant grapes and, and uh, have a winery. And she thought I was nuts. <laughs> So uh, we started researching in California, and the more I researched, the closer to home I got. I've been born and raised in Colorado. Well, I ended up discovering that the Western Slope in Palisade and Grand Junction, back uh, before uh, Prohibition, was a huge winemaking mm. region and I, grape growing. And correct region. me if I'm wrong, that that's because of the sunshine and the warmth. Absolutely. So it takes the sunshine, of course, the water to be able to have yes. good juicy grapes. But sunshine is what creates the sugars 
that are used in the wine. And Absolutely. So without sunshine, if it's too cloudy of an environment, you don't get good wine. Am I correct about That's that? That's correct, Father. Absolutely. And it's a very unique blend. And I'll so, tell you why I learned that is because there are wineries speckled around my area of southern Arizona. Where I grew up in, in Wilcox, Arizona, there are wineries around there. And it's because the water is pure. It's very deep water. And there is sunshine throughout the entire year. So the wineries have moved in. That, that is area. beautiful. Yes. So tell us what's the best type of wine if we're going to buy wine. What's your choice for what's what's best? Well, when in my research, we planted three varietals. We did Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, and my wife loves Chardonnay. And we uh, determined that in the it, the industry was just uh, starting out, but that that would grow in the Colorado climate up there. Since then, fast forward 20 years, there's just about any varietal up there that they've experimented with that'll grow. Uh, and so that's great. But at the time, we just did three. I was partial to Cabernet Sauvignon because it's a heavier-bodied, full-bodied wine. Mm. And I also made port out of it, mm. uh, which was a dessert wine. Tyler, did you catch all those words, the heavier body and full-bodied <laughs> wine? Can you use words like that? I caught port. I like port. You like port? I like port. Uh, other than that, the only thing I know really about wine is I went on a wine tour when I was in France a month or so ago. And that was awesome. I learned a lot. It was they originally started in the caves in that area where they hold everything. And then that there is a winery out in California that the family who started it shares my last name. Wow. wow. So you just might be an heir to I some mean, great winery. I mean, it'd be great because it's really expensive wine. I can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> what a great story, though. That's all neat. right. Well, uh, this would be great learning a little bit. That's, that's, I, I want After the podcast, you don't have to tell me more about this. Uh, but this week, uh, I wanted to bring up our sponsor, uh, which is our upcoming adult ed uh, faith formation uh, mm -hmm. with Deacon John. Uh, we're going to start um, on October 18th, Tuesday, October 18th uh, at 9 a.m. He's going to start a Catholic, a be the Beauty of Catholic Spirituality series. So it's going to be four weeks on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. in the St. Benedict Room. So the idea is that you can come to morning mass and then stay afterwards for the talk that Deacon John is going to be giving. So I would encourage our listeners to put that on their on their plans to grow a little bit in the spiritual life. Just like the wine has to grow, huh? There's a connection. <laughs> if go. the grapes haven't grown well, they won't create good wine. And we want to be good wine for God Almighty. And, and as we live this life, we have to grow and be exposed to the sun, S-O-N, Jesus Christ, huh? Absolutely. Another one? Oh, that's pretty good. I'm on a roll. <laughs> So, yeah, we do want to help our, our uh, support our sponsor, and our sponsor is Adult Ed, beginning again on what day? Tyler? On October 8th, Tuesday, October 18th at 9 a.m. in the St. Benedict Room. Got it. Coming up on Tuesday. So, um, we want to talk about conversion because our lives aren't just our own. We learn at some point to give our life over to God. And in my homily not too long ago, I was referring to um, Fides Qua, which is faith lived out. What does it look like when we're living our faith? And so I wanted Gene to come and be with us to talk about living the faith. And I thought maybe you could tell us about your own faith life, especially as a child, Gene. What was it like when you were living that faith with your grandma and grandpa, the Irish, uh, the Italian grandma and grandpa? You'll forgive me. Oops. Uh, but I, I am half Irish. have to edit that part out, Tyler. <laughs> I accidentally said Irish. Okay. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the Italian grandparents. What was that like? You know, Father, it was great because that was just expected. So we went to Mass. Uh, the sacraments were celebrated. And uh, we were very faith-based back then. And as a little child, I didn't know any difference. But my mom took me to met my sister and I to mass. Uh, you know, we were baptized, first communion, confirmed. All that happened. Yeah. Um, and then uh, when I went to high school, I went to a Catholic high school for four years. 
So I was grounded in the faith and practiced it. Now you're from Colorado, so I'm that might Colorado. be a high school our people would know. Which high school did you go uh, to? We actually, I moved to Walsenburg, Colorado, mm. and it was called St. Mary High School, mm -hmm. sure. uh, which has since closed. I, I don't know if I closed it down or if my <laughs> class closed it down. Um, so that was a beautiful thing. But then I got smart, I thought, and I went to, uh, to college up in Boulder. At CU, mm. And that was uh, late 60s, early 70s. And I drifted away from the church. Mm -hmm. And I became more and more secular, if that's the word, and involved with non-church-related things. So uh, I drifted away. Yeah, can I just offer that sometimes when our young people go off to college, it can be a real test for their faith, a real critical moment for them of learning to either live the faith or not. And I found that if they're supported while they go off to college in the faith, they do much better. So I just a shout out to the focus missionaries who create those supportive faith environments. And sometimes they're, they're not always welcomed on campuses, but we want to, to give a shout out of support for our focus missionaries who create a space for college age kids to live their faith and to be faithful during that really critical juncture until they establish themselves. As well, that's well said, Father. Yeah. Um, and so I, as I drifted away, then I got, I thought I was smart. And then fast forward, uh, if you want to call it coming back home or a reconversion. And then it also ties in with my wife becoming Catholic. Mm -hmm. she, had, she was born and raised a staunch Methodist. Mm -hmm. Her family and ancestors were from uh, Germans from Russia. And um, they settled in Kansas. And, uh, you know, those Catholics were down the street, you know. Mm -hmm. And so her family was very staunch Methodist. Uh, so anyway, fast forward, when my wife delivered our first son, she had some medical issues, and he was breached at the last minute. Uh, she was in the hospital, and uh, as we were getting ready to release her about a week after that, she noticed a bright red uh, line around her uh, abdominal incision where she had to have an emergency C-section. Uh, they decided not to release her. Thankfully, I insisted they check her out. She had a horrendous staph infection. Oh, oh my. Kept her in the hospital another couple of weeks. I thought we were going to lose her. Oh dear. So swirling around at that time, um, this ATM business I was telling you about was not generating any money. Mm. I was uh, uh, trying to come up with a townhouse payment at the time. The insurance that I had covered nothing for maternity mm. and especially for emergency C-sections. Oh so I was facing with uh, literally thousands and thousands of dollars of hospital bills on top of I spent the week sleeping in the hospital. One night I came home, just just sank to my knees in the entryway. It was dark. I had a wife who I didn't know would make it. My son's in the hospital, a business that's doing nothing, all the things I shared. And I just said to the Lord, I had a conversion, and I wrote a contract to the Lord. And the contract said, I've entered uh, an irre irrevocable agreement with the Lord. I've com committed my life to Jesus Christ, and he has given me eternal life. And I signed it and dated it that night. And ever since then, very gradual steps, I came back into the church. My wife and I talked. She recovered. My son was okay. And then we both agreed that our children would be raised Catholic. She came back into the, agreed to participate in the church. And then fast forward several years, it took her conversion. But uh, she connected with Father Schaefer, who had been, whose family had been from Kansas very close, Germans from Russia. Anyway, he took her under uh, his wing, uh, did the education, 
And uh, she chose Monica as her confirmation name. Mm-hmm. And so she entered the church at Easter several years ago. And your wife's health today? How is her health today? Very good. Blessed yeah, be God. Yeah, and your yeah. son? And my son is 36 now. Thanks be to heart. God for Amen. all of his providence. You know, uh, Tyler and Jean, sometimes when people are going through the worst times, and I definitely don't pray for bad times for them, but I've seen God works miracles in those times. And we uh, like reach out to God and he never fails to reach back to us in the midst of those really difficult times. And it actually makes our lives better in the end, but going through it can be so incredibly difficult. And today, um, well, we, maybe I can focus on, on the gift of men having, um, being present at the, at the birth of their children, because that's not a gift I have, but I'm fascinated <laughs> with this. And both of you have that gift. And I remember Dr. Scott Hahn telling us that it's often a spiritual moment for the father to watch their son or daughter be born into that world. Can you speak into that, Tyler, the I, experience? When my daughter was born, all I remember is, because we didn't find out whether we were going to have a boy or a girl ahead of time. We wanted it to be a surprise. And and beforehand, they're like, "You're when when the, when the when the baby's born, you're you're gonna announce to everyone as a boy or a girl." I'm like, "That's a lot of pressure. I don't want to mess it up." Um, uh, there's a lot of stress in that. Uh, but when my daughter was born, and and I was like, "It's a girl," and so my wife hears me say that it's the first time she knows we have a girl. It, it, I don't know. For me, it was it was, it was overwhelming, and uh, of this experience of, of of the doctors and nurses and taking her over to, to clean her up and everything, and, and to see this this little girl who now dependent on me for everything. Wow. Um, and still even to this day, like I was this morning, I was gi- giving her a hug. She was, she's getting a haircut probably right about now or so, or just a little bit later this afternoon. Um, and she wanted to cut her hair really short. And just this idea is like, Oh, you're, you're growing up, you're getting older. And I can remember this moment of when you were first born and I looked upon you and mm-hmm. I, I had the tears in my eyes then. And then, yeah, this, yeah, you're growing up and you, you're telling us, this is how I want my hair. And, um, <laughs> There's a, there's a, a deep beauty in, in that that moment, absolutely. Yeah. There's a sense in which we've received a gift from God, but then you have to give it up again, oh, is what yeah. you're describing. It's not ours to keep. Yeah. Gene has been of good service to the parish and to the, the church as a result of all of his conversions. Tell us about your ministries. What do you do for the glory of God in the parish? Well, Father, as, as you know, I, I'll, uh, I'm altar-serving at funerals. Um, I'm a Stephen minister and a Stephen leader along with Deacon Allen. Maybe you can summarize, what is Stephen Ministry? Because not everybody will, might know what Stephen Ministry is. Father, we provide one-on-one Catholic Christian care for people that have, have a variety of reasons. Uh, they've lost a job. Uh, they're going through health issues. Uh, maybe they're having financial difficulty. Maybe they're going through a divorce. Just whatever life is. Yeah. We say maybe we're their the wife is in people. the hospital after giving birth to a child. Some yes. of you experience. You can be and I could really have used a Stephen minister back then, as mm-hmm. my wife could have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's men on men, women on women. We meet one hour a week uh, in confidence, in private. Uh, we don't discuss what uh, who our Stephen, who our care receiver is. We have supervision once a month, where all the other Stephen ministers will listen to the generalities of what our. Stephen Minister is doing and experiencing with their care receiver. Um, in fact, we're meeting tonight at 4.30. Uh, if someone is interested in the ministry, how would they get involved in it? They can contact me. And uh, at this point in time, the training is uh, 50 hours of training to become a Stephen Minister. It's probably our most highly trained mm-hmm. uh, group. in the in Except the, for being a priest. Except for being a priest. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so I, I take communion to the homebound. Uh, and uh, one lady I've been taking communion to for several years, God bless her, um, I'm a Eucharistic minister, and when called upon, if I need a lector, I can do that.
Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for all of your ministries within Thank the you. church. I just want to give a shout out for all of your work with the funerals. You really dignify our funerals here at St. Jude Parish. And so uh, my parishioners, as you, as you listen to this, yes, pray for a happy death, but pray that at your funeral mass, Gene will be the server because that would, that would be a sign of a great honor that you have Gene serving at your funeral mass. Thank you, Father. Wonderful, Father. Uh, it's been great having you with you, Thank having you. you with us, Gene. Um, and Father, as we go forth, would you give us your blessing? The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless us, protect us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.